0: Welcome to the Equipping Podcast. My name's Karen Hinson, and I'm here with Dr. Nathan Wagnon. Are you going to make me call you that? No. Great.
1: No, just Margaret.
0: (laughs) (laughs) For those of you who don't know, that's his wife.
1: (laughs) She's going to be like, hey, babe, will you? No, 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 doctor, doctor, babe.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I can see that going Uh, real well.
1: Yeah, Yeah. So
0: how do you feel?
1: uh He's really I'm not,
0: tired. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm kind of
1: coming out of a fog.
0: Nathan's been shut in his office for four months.
1: <laughs> that's about right. Yeah, but yeah, uh, it's great. I have turned my dissertation in, and now I've just got to defend it. And um, so, for for those of y'all who are tracking with us on a weekly basis, I apologize because this last month I've just kind of had to put my head down to finish my paper. So that's where we've been. But we're back.
0: Welcome to the Equipping Podcast. My name is Karen Henson and I'm here with Nathan Wagnon. Hello. Yeah, it's ladies' <laughs> night. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Hello. Nathan's trying to fit in this week uh, as we yeah. are talking a lot about women. Yeah,
1: there, there's a, uh, when, when we recorded this, there was a lot of women in the room. So I, I, was, uh, I was getting in touch with my feminine side.
0: Is that offensive? Do we know?
1: I don't know. Are we offended anymore? Are you offended? No. I think we're good then. (laughs) You guys enjoy this conversation.
0: Today we are here with Dr. Sandra Glahn, who is a professor of pastoral ministries at Dallas Theological Seminary. She is an author of over 20 books, one of which is called Vindicating the Vixens, that she had a lot of help writing and she got to edit. Uh, She is a blogger, a wife, a, a mother... And an expert in many many things. So welcome.
2: Wow, I'd like to know this person.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I would like to be this person.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I suspect she's probably over fifty. Just
0: (laughs) (laughs) well, we are so glad that you're joining us today. Very glad to be here. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking a little bit about the easy topic of gender in the Mm. church. Uh, (laughs) So we're excited to jump in. And so Dr. Glahn, just give us some insight on where you've been, how you've Mm. been involved in this topic the research that you've done why is this an interest to you
2: well my husband and i um, had 10 years of infertility and pregnancy loss and during that time i started out with a super conservative view of what christian womanhood looked like and when that when i really hit a brick wall wanting to be a mom wanting to do what i thought was the christian ideal for women it was more than a crisis of parenting it was a spiritual crisis because I really didn't know, where do I fit? What does that mean? Who am I? What is Paul talking about when he says a woman will be saved through childbearing? If I have the gift of teaching, and I think I might, um, and my only role is to teach children, then am I silenced? All of those questions started a search. I was a freelance writer, and I started dabbling in uh, just taking some writing classes at Dallas Seminary. I had no uh, intention of getting a degree there. Uh, just getting out of the house, getting out of my pajamas. You know, when you're when you're a writer, sometimes you're by yourself a lot. And little by little, I discovered that if you enroll and pass, and enroll and pass enough times, <laughs> you get, you a, get degree. a degree. You get a degree. It's funny how that <laughs> like works. Yeah. No, I, I was about, I was most of the way through when uh, one of the department heads approached me and said, we are getting more and more women, and we're going to need some women faculty. Mm-hmm. And so you can imagine, this also contributed to my crisis, because I'm thinking women aren't supposed to have careers. <laughs> and you know here are people wanting me to have a ministry, and I still have this super narrow view of what womanhood looks like. Mm-hmm. So I ended up spending all, when I, as I got into the languages, and time I had a research paper, I started researching, what does the Bible really say about sex and gender? I had to go all the way back to Genesis and, and try to sort through Where did I get my ideas? How much of this is Christian subculture? How much of this is white middle class culture in terms of role division? You know, would this fly overseas? And I did some travel with my husband overseas and I'm thinking, if something is biblical, it has to be true everywhere. It can't yeah, just be true for white middle-class America. Mm-hmm. So for example, you you don't say to a woman in a hut, your job is to stay in the hut all day <laughs> and he's supposed to go out and do everything outside the hut. Yep. She's like, I-, "I need to be in the field. I need to be working, like working yeah, got to get done. Working yeah. the ground yeah. is not like his role, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. She gets childbirth, but she's also out, you know, busting it in the mm-hmm, field. Mm-hmm. And so and then to discover that through church history a lot of for most of the years, the curse was considered doubly difficult on women. Instead of he gets the work curse and mm-hmm. she gets the baby curse, he gets the ground curse and she gets the ground and the childbearing. Mm-hmm. But that, that isn't how a white middle-class American would view it because after the Industrial Revolution, we sort of divided labor for good reason. Uh, you know, if, if you have to be apart from the home to get money to feed the family, somebody's got to be with the kids and it's better for a family member to be with the kids. I mean, you can see the logic in it. But then for us to say, but that was the biblical model, well, the biblical model is really mom and dad with the kids, Mm -hmm. right? An agrarian model, they're with mom part of the day and dad part of the day, and kids have a better sense of humor when they grow up with dads, you know, (laughs) all that stuff. So all this was part of my journey of trying to sort through, who am I? What am I here for? Where did I get this idea that motherhood is the highest calling? It's a high calling, but it's not everyone's calling. It's not even the ideal calling. And you look at Jesus and John the Baptist and Mary and Martha, as far as we know, none of them are married. And yet, you know, so it looks like the fruit of the Spirit is the ideal rather than a certain kind of manhood and womanhood. So certainly God made us male and female. It's a beautiful thing. We should celebrate those differences. But somewhere along the lines, we started creating boxes. And so I ended up, you know, doing my PhD work in looking at what is the first century background? What was considered masculine and feminine in Paul's day? What has been the ideal sort of through church history? And again, sorting through what's cultural and what's biblical, what's lasting and what is temporary. So, like if you, I went to Versailles. There's a chapel there, and and all the sculptures of these people that are, you know, attending church at least, and they're the men are dressed in lace with high heels and and tights basically and and long hair and that's considered masculine Uh, right which uh, is not the american ideal right but again that's very culturally influenced so of course you know the minute i say masculinity and femininity is culturally influenced people worry oh my goodness you've totally compromised and you know, I'm not I'm not saying anything goes, but I am saying while we've guarded we've warned the church, the conservative church against radical feminism, we have tended not to warn her about radical conservatism and Phariseeism. Yeah, good. And so that's where we need to come back and look mm. at both doors being closed and revisiting what's really biblical and what have I inherited from nineteen fifties American yes. middle class culture. So
1: you've done a lot of work in that that whole issue of what was it like to be a man and yes. a woman in the ancient Absolutely. world and yeah. so un- just high level just start to unpack that for us because we've talked before on this podcast with some friends about the critical nature of approaching the text with uh, cultural sensitivity uh, yeah. it's a it's yeah. a cross reading the scriptures is a cross-cultural exercise And so, to overlay our 21st century Western lens over an ancient Near Eastern text, and then just assuming that this is to us, um, it's kind of like a bull in a china shop just breaking everything. There's no no cultural sensitivity there. And so, when we're approaching it, how do we view gender in the ancient world, and what would that have looked like?
2: Yeah, great question. So, let me start with a couple of verses, and then back up and give the big picture. So, for example, Paul says, uh, you know, be a man, and, and people read that as versus being womanly, when, when Paul talks about being a man, he's contrasting it with being a child, mm-hmm. okay? So, we've tended today to read that man good, woman bad, instead of maturity good, immaturity bad. Right. Think about 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right? When I was a man versus when I was a child. Child, yeah. Right. So there is an example of we tend to always pair manhood with womanhood, mm-hmm. whereas he's usually pairing manhood or maturity you know, and immaturity. maturity exactly. Yeah. Well,
0: and yeah. he does it later in right. in the book in First Corinthians as well, and he's talking about being courageous and brave. He's not talking about being manly,
1: exactly. Right. Yeah, Ringo. First Corinthians uh, sixteen thirty yeah, three, right? Yeah, act yeah. like a man, yeah. exactly.
2: Yeah. And he, and again, he's he's not talking about act machismo, which yes, is how right. we tend to read it, yeah. right? Uh, Here's another example. So, if you go to most of Paul's marriage passages and the marriage passage in 1 Peter 3, they are in a world where Aristotle's household codes are the norm. And basically what that means is there's this ideal of Roman family life, and Christians are being criticized for being subversive, okay, for overturning the order. You've got the, the man who's the paterfamilias, or he's the head of the, the plantation, right? And the people under him are his wife, his slaves, and his children. And a man is a certain way in these codes, no, nobody else is ever addressed. It's only I- the ideal man. So our apostles take those, and they're like, yeah, we adhere to honorable structure. And then they are subversive in that they're like, so here's what the husband should do, but he starts with, here's what the wife should, he actually, mm-hmm. they actually address, wives do this, slaves do this, children do this, so that's the first thing that if we don't know those codes, we don't realize how radical he is that he's talking to the powerless mm-hmm. and including them and in even speaking to them. Yeah. Then, when they're expecting to hear about what power this man has, he's like, yeah, you have power, you have power to serve, you have power to lay down your life, mm-hmm. and so when we today take those passages and try to infuse authority and power back into them we're actually infusing a little bit of what they were trying to take out yeah right so they're like the way up is down
1: which shouldn't shock I us know. i mean the it entire should. message <laughs> of jesus is yeah. is Sir, the upside down yeah. it's the upside down yeah. nature of the kingdom yeah. of god that yeah. that power is found not in going to rome and taking caesar's seat it's the recognition that, no, Caesar is, is sitting in my seat, yeah. and my role is to die on a cross.
0: Right. Well, he didn't come to be yeah. served. Exactly. Yeah, yeah served. No,
1: I mean, uh, there's, yeah. there's something in Mark something, about that. something know,
2: about right? that in the Bible. <laughs> something right <laughs> out of the
1: words of our Lord. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, so,
2: we have tended to criticize women who push back against a certain kind of submission. And, and we need to be equally as concerned with a certain kind of man yeah. who says, you're under me in an authority structure, yeah. mm-hmm. and making that the focus instead of, if that's true, my job is to serve. Which is my segue into what did they think was masculine and feminine? For one thing, a masculine man, nobody could ever touch his body without his permission. Okay. So, that meant that if you're a slave, if you're a gladiator, it's shameful. <laughs> So, their gladiators might have been well-known, but it's not like our movie stars where we want their lives, okay? Um, because somebody is looking at their bodies, somebody can touch their body, somebody can make their body bleed, okay? That is not masculine. That is, like, shameful, okay? So, if you look at that, and then you look at Paul going into Philippi, he's got a citizenship card, which means he is the ultimate man. Nobody should be able to touch him or hurt him without a trial, And instead of saying, as they're flogging him up, by the way, I'm a citizen, you can't do that to me. He waits until they have completely insulted his manhood to say that you violated.
1: Yeah, oh, by the way.
2: Yeah, because he is sacrificing his man card for the gospel. So then, you know, somebody looking on your body, especially looking on your nakedness, touching your body, injuring your body, you look at Jesus who is Mm. choosing to be flogged, choosing to have his nakedness exposed, the shame of that. Mm. And we as Westerners tend to just not even notice in Hebrews where it says he's despising the shame. Mm. We tend to focus on, ouch, it would have hurt the suffering instead of, oh, in an honor-shame culture, Actually, the physical pain wasn't the worst part. It's yeah. the shame.
1: I was reading a book the other day on shame, and the author of the book was talking about the exposure of nakedness in crucifixion. I mean, you're not only are you naked, but you're also restrained you and nailed yourself, to a tree. Humanistic. Like You're yeah. just totally exposed. Yep. And the author was pointing out, he's like, even a lot of times when we translate the crucifixion event in our minds, we cover Jesus up. You know, and, and, good, I'm, right? and yeah, and I'm not saying I'm not advocating yeah. for like plays where people are hanging on the cross right. naked. You know, like, but that's
2: what know. would have been the reality. But that yeah. was
1: the reality, yeah. and it's so interesting to me how even now, and rightly so, we're uncomfortable with that. It's like I don't even, I, no, I can't think about that, right. and yet that was what was on full display that by day. So well, yeah, we, by his choice, by which his choice. is fascinating. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I just think our mental images come from art. Right? right, and so we begin to picture who Jesus is from the pictures that we've seen other right. people create, and not necessarily what he actually looked like. And so that's why that image pops up in our head because that's what we've seen yeah. over and over. But even
1: over. now, even if we would have been there, oh yeah, I think that there, like, to your point, Sandra, is yeah. there is a shocking, oh yeah, there's a shocking nature to that, and to mm-hmm. to think that hey, Jesus is, is willfully. Doing the doing unmasculine this. thing. He's, yeah, he's doing the un. He's he's yeah. giving his man card, yes. you know, is. and and what he's does that calling tell
2: us? us to sacrifice our gender card mm. at times, yeah. right? Yeah. It doesn't mean that we flaunt them, but what it means is gender is less important than the fruit of the spirit. Yeah. Okay. So if that means I don't normally mow the lawn and my husband's in the hospital and he's worried about it, I'm going to put on my shorts and my tennis shoes and I'm going to go out there and do it, and it's going to be called love. <laughs> Right? Or if my husband doesn't normally do the grocery shopping and he sees it needs doing and without expecting me to punch his martyr card, right, he goes and does it because that's love. So we have tended in Christendom to make her more uh, restricted boxes and making the ideal, trying to figure out what some sort of nebulous ideal is and then match it. Instead of saying, well, he's, God has told us the ideal. It's love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, right? Embodied as a male or embodies as a, fi- as a female. And one of my working theories is that you become more feminine as you become more spiritual, right? So you become more the woman God made you to be or the, the man God made you to be as you embody the fruit of the Spirit. And instead of fixing our eyes on what is manhood and womanhood, We fix our eyes on Jesus and what is love, joy, peace, patience, Mm. goodness, and as a byproduct of that, I am a more, more glorious woman or a more glorious man.
1: Yeah, It's almost like the writer of Hebrews said something about it.
2: <laughs> it might be, I
0: know.
1: Fix your eyes on I Jesus. I know, exactly.
0: <laughs> Help us right. understand why we do that. Like, why yeah. do we idealize gender over the fruits of the spirit? Why oh. do we try to be good women instead yeah. of
2: godly? I think there are a zillion reasons, and, and some of them can be very individual. For one, I think for many, it, it can stem out of a truly good desire to be who you think God wants you to be, and uh, I, I know for me, I was taught very Southern, traditional Southern Bell kind of mm-hmm. Christianity uh, in my early days as a Christian. And, and so I really thought that was being biblical and I wanted to be biblical. I didn't care if I was countercultural, if I was biblical. And I didn't realize how I wasn't countercultural, I was actually very steeped in a certain kind of culture. That's part of it. I think also, um, gender goes to our earliest memory. So what can feel like Uh, has always been the case right it can just feel right right Have you never seen a a father grocery shopping the first time you see it it can seem strange to you right (laughs) even though it's perfectly biblical right and so that's part of it too again we're very influenced by our our culture and our christian subculture but also i think that one of the ways we have read scripture we need to take a look back and here's what i mean Sometimes we read, women are told to submit, and men are told to love, and we say that means women were made in some special way to submit, and men are made in some special way to, wait, be respected. (laughs) Um, So we even change their verbs, right? (laughs) Like, he gets love, but it's not like phileo love, it's agape, which is a lay down your life kind, expose yourself to, you know, (laughs) abuse kind. And think about that. Paul is telling the husband, get yourself beat up to the point of death. Like, again, that is the ultimate unmasculine behavior. So he's taking the household codes, but he's flipping them on their ear. Yeah. And, and think about how much difficulty we have with the word servant. We even say servant leader, because we can't stand to be, like, we can't just say, I'm a slave of Jesus, right? Yeah. Yep. But Paul would true. never have said, Paul, a servant leader of Christ. Mm-hmm. Like he, yeah. And even if you think of church offices, he's gone out of his way to pick words devoid of power old guy servant Mm -hmm. without a woman man i mean without a man woman widow like these are these are not power words it's part of why we have so much trouble figuring out what does he want the church to be organized Mm -hmm. because we're looking for an org chart and we need to flip it upside down like anybody who's been in leadership for long enough knows where you're really serving yeah like it means you got to be willing to erase the boards and rearrange the chairs and not be bragging that you haven't had to do a hospital visit in six months like yeah. that should be something you brag about right yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah but that is not fun it's not fun it means you might be cleaning up vomit and washing dirty poop off of, of feet
1: yeah well i don't uh, think when jesus called us to the kingdom kind of life that he was thinking the prerequisite for this is it has to be fun <laughs> yeah No, I mean, he's going, no, you take no. up your cross, yeah like that's the kind of life that that I'm calling you to live. you, you mentioned uh a minute ago that it's a, a downward way, and it reminds me of a guy that uh, some of our listeners may be familiar with uh named Henry Nowen. he was oh, a I love him Catholic academic for a while and then spent his last years at a home for disabled children, right or ju- or d- just yeah, a disabled adult, yeah. just d- just adults, yeah. yeah. Anyway, in an interview with a guy one time, Henry was saying, hey, I was I was building up all these accolades mm-hmm. and my CV was growing good, and yeah. I was internationally known and I was climbing my way up this academic ladder. And as I was climbing up the ladder, I passed Jesus on his way down.
2: <sighs> <Ooh>. Ouch. <laughs>
1: Ouch. And that's always yeah. stuck with me. Like, yeah. like hey, if, if we really are going to, be followers of jesus we have to follow him where he's going and his way is a downward way and the reality of it is is the more you walk that downward way the more you realize oh you're leading me not into slavery that's going to leave me in bondage yeah that it's actually setting me free i'm becoming more human in the midst of all of this so
2: maybe less famous but more human yeah. yeah yeah uh, being faithful in obscurity caring for a parent with alzheimer's like we those are not the people
1: but that's where god is is.
0: Mm.
1: i mean
2: he's in all of it for sure
0: and i think our listeners can even be hearing what we're saying listening to what we're saying about christ they've read the gospels they they know those things but they can listen to what we're talking about on gender and say hey has feminism infiltrated the church like the things that you're saying don't line up with what I've always known. Yeah,
1: that's the knee jerk reaction. Yeah. yeah, and
0: so why why are we yeah. having this discussion? What what has come up recently in 21st yeah. century America that's Great prompted question. us to to start talking about yeah. this more?
2: So first of all, in with the influx of feminism, typically feminism is pretty white and womanism is pretty black. So even talking about feminism, if you think about the 1950s through 70s, it's the big question is can women work. The African-American community has not really been asking that question of their women through the years, right? And also, race, class, and gender are very intertwined, and we often don't realize it. And here's an example. Picture a plantation owner, 1700s, and Mammy is taking care of his children, and he's saying the ideal is for the woman to be at home, but he's not even seeing her. She's a woman, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so we've had these blindnesses of, of race, class, and gender. And so that's part of it. With the 1950s uh, beginning the influx of women into the academy, one of the something drastically changed in history departments, and that was women tended to be asking much fewer questions a- about political history and troop movements and wars. They started asking social history questions like, what was the average life expectancy? And what was it like to be masculine and feminine in Paul's day? And what did they eat? And... and uh, how do they give birth? You know, standing, sitting in water? Like, what kind of implements did they use at home? What's the average home like? All of those are wonderful questions for Bible backgrounds. So we've had this explosion mm-hmm. of historical research done on social history. And so we have a lot more information about backgrounds that we didn't have. Couple that with the internet, which means when I went to spend years studying what was happening in first century Ephesus, I didn't have to move to Ephesus. I visited a few times. But whereas in the past, it used to be I would write a letter to a scholar, go get it translated into Greek, wait for it to be sent to Turkey, (laughs) uh, you know, wait for him to or yeah, usually him to reply. And it was six weeks before I had an answer. Mm -hmm. Today, I have a question. I go to Google Translate. I email it and I have a translated answer that afternoon. The other thing that's happened is all a bunch of whole libraries went online. So we discovered like the Journal of Anatolian Studies, right, Mm -hmm. that maybe a DTS person wouldn't have had much access to before. So all these scholars who were doing independent research in and outside of religion who didn't know about each other suddenly discovered each other on the internet. So it was like a mushroom cloud. It's like a renaissance. Oh my goodness, yes. And so part of it is I typically don't even look at backgrounds books that are more than 10 years old Mm. because there's been such an explosion, not only in the focus on social history and backgrounds but also in just being able to have these conversations. So one of the things that happened in Ephesus was somebody, praise God for them, entered every inscription that they had. So I could sit in my living room Mm -hmm. and type in Artemis and all the forms of her name and find out what were the inscriptions at the time of Paul talking about Artemis and what did they say so for example when he when he opens first Timothy writing to Timothy whom he's left in, in Ephesus he begins with Christ savior which you know usually Paul's starting with grace and peace to you right mm-hmm. why is that so different well in all these inscriptions I'm finding Artemis savior yeah and then I'm finding all these words in first Timothy that yeah. I'm finding in the manuscripts Ooh. and in the in the inscriptions, we just didn't have that. So that's part of why we're having this conversation again. Another reason we're having it is because evangelicals do not know our history on women. Mm. And we have a very strong, centuries old tradition of women in public leadership. And really, it was the mainliners that were more conservative on women than the evangelicals for a very long time. And so, some of us are just rediscovering our history. With, um, with Katie and Martin Luther, you had the first married couple where both are theologically trained, mm-hmm. right? Because it used to be before the Reformation, if you're a woman and you want to be educated, you are in a nunnery and you are translating manuscripts, writing plays, writing poems, whatever. Or you're a mother in an agrarian society. It's not both and. Until all the modern conveniences have made it so that I can be a mom Mm -hmm. and be home with my kid and be in my living room studying what's going on in Ephesus. Accessing libraries around the world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. yeah that's really fascinating what are some examples of like give us a couple of those i, I know you gave us the artemis one which mm-hmm. for our listeners if you don't know who artemis is artemis was like the uh, was she a roman goddess she, or well, a, she a was she was
2: she was roman and greek but she had know, a different name in the she had greek. different uh yeah that's right so she's artemis or diana, diana but yeah. in in the new testament she's referred to as artemis yep. and so in the the last time you see Paul in Ephesus in the Book of Acts,
1: oh, people are going crazy. They're I was going just reading crazy. that the other day. So, they're nuts. So Artemis, Artemis of the Ephesians.
2: Artemis oh, yeah. is like the number two god in the pantheon. Yeah, and she has this temple in Ephesus that you could see from ten miles away as you're sailing up. Mm-hmm. And picture the Parthenon times four or five it's Mm. just ginormous and it's sparkling on the edge of the water and people would come from all over the empire not only to worship her, but she has temple guards, so it's the local bank. It's like nobody has a mm-hmm. bank in other parts of the world. So if you're a multi-millionaire, you want guards yeah. guarding your money. So even like, you know, Cleopatra is showing up there, and Mark Antony is showing up there. Mm-hmm. And so Ephesus is, the, is a very strategic place that Paul chooses to stay for a couple of years, because you have these two ports there, from where you can sail to Alexandria, Egypt, and Thessalonica, and Rome. Like, it's new york city harbor okay Mm -hmm. so paul camps himself there wisely because he knows it's just this intersection but he is getting ready to leave ephesus after a couple of years and he's headed to macedonia when the silver workers rise up and this is all in the book of acts this is not like what i know from historical background in in the academy this is right out of acts
1: acts 19 acts 19 Yeah.
2: yeah so they they're like hey this guy is supplanting <laughs> our trade. Like we're losing money, yeah. or we're gonna lose money. Yeah, yeah. And Artemis is not a fertility goddess, which we thought decades ago. She was the opposite. She was she was in Ephesus, she's a goddess of midwifery, but she's also asceticism, or like don't, that's where you get phrases like don't marry, don't touch, don't taste. And that's why maybe over in Corinth, Paul's saying, Hey, think about staying single. But in Ephesus, he's like, we have so many single people, because you had this virgin goddess, I want Mm. the younger women to marry, Mm. (laughs) and I want the older women to, like, if they're over 60, you can put them on the rolls, but we have too many single women for the church to bear. Let's pause
0: and just make note that he was writing to different people. So the Corinthians, he's telling them something very culturally specific to them. Into the Ephesians, he's telling them something uh, culturally specific. Exactly to them. right. Okay, continue. Which, yeah. which the, one
1: more point to that yeah. is if you've listened to our podcast for a while, you've heard us say this multiple times, but when you come to the text, you have got to do. The digging yeah. and the work of context so that you don't miss these critical distinctions.
0: So you rightly yeah. understand Yeah. It. So
1: you're not a bull in a china shop, yeah. uh, overlaying your own lens onto an ancient text that you have no business laying your lens over.
2: Here, here are some easy guidelines. If Paul is talking in the first person, that might be something that's limited to his context, mm-hmm. but we can take the wisdom from him. how how did paul act in that world right so he's in corinth where he's saying there's all this immorality in the church and he's saying i want you to think about staying single Mm. and if he says to young widows over in ephesus i want you to get married Mm. that's a flag like you said karen that something's culturally going on Mm. so first person narrative seemingly contradictory advice right so in first corinthians if if in chapter 11 he's saying i want the women prophets to act a certain way then in chapter 14 if he's saying i want women to be silent he's not he's too smart to contradict himself right there's something contextual going. it wasn't an accident right it wasn't an accident (laughs) so that doesn't take a theology degree right that that's how you would read any book right you would read emerson that way
0: mm.
1: um but a lot of times we when we come to the text we just assume that our first surface reading of it is the right one
0: well because yeah. we have the spirit right that's how he's <laughs> yeah, speaking to yeah, us yeah, right what He's yeah. yeah. saying
1: to me is yeah and what and what i'm saying is no especially when you're coming to a text and it doesn't necessarily make sense to you at the beginning. It's probably because the way you're thinking about it is wrong, and you need to dig deeper. So yeah. that
0: And that, that happens same. to all of us. totally like no matter how much training you have, you still have to do the work. Yeah.
1: It happens in my marriage all the time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Margaret says <laughs> something and I'm like, well,
2: yeah,
1: I think that I'm probably misunderstanding Asking what questions you're saying is always then. better.
2: Yeah. yeah. And this is why we need all eyes on the text. We need men and women. together we need african americans and white americans and asians and like we need people from all over the world we need christians dead and living Mm -hmm. we need to know how people in the past understood certain passages we even need to know some of the history on church fathers for example augustine rocked on the trinity but he had he was a very sexually broken man Mm -hmm. so let's maybe not make him our go-to person on gender (laughs) make him our go-to person on the trinity right i mean we do we think that way about every other sort of person Uh, thomas aquinas as well like if you have these guys who are living in monasteries who have almost no women in their lives Mm -hmm. maybe you know we listen to their voices but we don't make them the definitive voice on this Um, So we need each other, and we need men and women partnering together. One of the men in one of the classes that I, the the gender class that I teach, I broke students into small groups to discuss something, and afterward, this kind brother, he said, I'm just thrilled, I have never been in a discussion where I heard a woman talk about what the Bible said. And I'm amazed (laughs) at you know, my My sister's perspective (laughs) perspective. or like when I, sometimes I'll pick up a translation that has the story of the woman with the issue of blood. Mm -hmm. And I know she's like, she's menstrual bleeding and the all male translators are talking about a hemorrhage. I'm like, if you'd had a woman or a doctor on your team, yeah, yeah, you yeah. would know she didn't hemorrhage for t- 12 years, yeah, right? Yeah. right? Not she would bleed out. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and it's not because yeah. there was any malice yeah, at yeah, all. Yeah. It's just we don't know our own blind spots. Mm-hmm. We need each other. Yep. We need to be working in community. Sometimes uh, we'll go to Africa and like I had I did a Bible study on the book of Ruth and some of my friends took it to teach in Africa and they came home and said we learned more than we taught. You know, not just acting humble like we really did. Yeah. Because the Bruce culture is so much closer to theirs than mine. They're they're saying, Oh yeah, they exchanged a shoe because we don't have paper in our culture. So you find something everybody recognizes and you know, that pot over there represents this agreement and that shoe Mm -hmm. means this. You know, that, piece of rock stacked over there that's what that means
0: uh-huh. so now that we have the background information that we do so we understand a little bit more about who these women were where the church is at today versus where it was even a hundred years ago help us understand some of the biggest mistakes we are still making when we approach these texts on gender what are some of the stereotypes that we tend to cling to and teach us truth help us see some of those things
2: so the first place is losing the distinction or being super fuzzy on the difference between sex and gender And often we're uncomfortable with the S word. So we use sex and we talk about different genders when we mean male and female. Mm -hmm. And so the synonym for sex in that context is male and female. And the synonym for gender is going to be masculine and feminine. Okay. So here's what happens. You hear someone in the, the academy talking about how gender is socially constructed. And what they mean is masculinity and femininity are very influenced by your culture. Christians have a knee-jerk often going, you're saying, no, 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 it's male and female. God made the male and female. Mm -hmm. You are not even talking apples and oranges. And so we have such a knee-jerk response to the statement that gender is socially constructed because we don't actually understand what they're saying that we actually agree with them mm. that's a first one is just knowing that yeah. is not necessarily a mark of liberalism it can be but it is not necessarily another place is when we look at genesis and we see he made the male and female our principle of translation gets muddied if we say things like there can't be intersex because God made the male and female. Well, there is such a thing as being born with XXY chromosomes. Mm-hmm. He made the male and female is it an ideal in the garden of Eden before the fall.
1: Yeah, right. right. So that
2: would be like saying to me you can have children. You're not infertile cuz God said be fruitful and multiply. Right. Like, yeah, he said it in the garden when <laughs> something were happened dead. in yeah, Genesis 3. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so again, we are not always factoring in the brokenness mm. since that ideal. And so when we start knee-jerking our quotation of those and saying there are only two boxes instead of instead of igno- What does that do for a person in the, a church your size has at least three intersex people plus all their family members, right? Mm-hmm. Who will hear that said, God made them male and female, mm-hmm. and they're probably not going to say anything, but it's going to hurt. Because yeah. they're going to go, but he didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he didn't in this case what do i do with that does that mean that when a parent has an intersex child or a child with ambiguous genitalia they have to choose for the child like all of those questions that we have written off typically in christian subculture as being liberals are actually the lived experience of christ followers and even the word eunuch we have tended to think that means only somebody who's castrated but if jesus himself says some are born eunuchs some are made eunuchs like get castrated by other people and some make themselves which which very well could be those who have same-sex attraction and are choosing not to be married it could be you know people through the centuries who did castrate themselves because they were tired of being tempted you know with lust Mm. but coming back to jesus saying some are born eunuchs we have to look at how that word has been used through history, and it's much broader than castration. Yeah, yeah. And it acknowledges—I mean, Daniel, very possibly, probably, is a eunuch. Mm-hmm. So you have these these sexual minorities that we need to be calling them to faithful living instead of saying, "Well, you have to dress a certain way, fit a certain standard in order to be godly manhood, uh-huh. godly
1: womanhood." Yeah. So probably our a lot of our listeners right now are probably thinking, like, okay some of this is the tension that's that just is a byproduct of our evangelical living in the south bible belt type subculture to where it's like okay i hear what you're saying but also at the same time it feels like sometimes we're being assaulted on all fronts from this liberal agenda that's going we should have intersex bathrooms and gender is totally on the spectrum and it's okay if a i mean i just saw the other day a a famous actress is like oh my seven-year-old son is a girl and it's like i think probably any thinking human is like what are you talking about so i just want to be really clear
2: yeah yeah so huge difference between being trans or gay and being intersex right and so this is a place to start as christians so, it's true, we are getting assaulted, but on the other hand, it's some of the assault is deserved in that we are not picking up on the nuances. Right. So, if you have intersex people, they're going, why are you calling us gay? Like, our physical bodies are ambiguous, and don't lump us in with that. And and because we put it all under the category of sex and gender, mm-hmm. we, we're not precise enough. And so, we're hurting people and we're getting called out and we don't hear how we're being called out on some of that Mm. so some of it is just being wise as serpents right and and harmless as doves and so not having a knee jerk when somebody says gender is socially constructed Mm -hmm. to follow that up with they could be super liberal but they could also be somebody i could agree with let's draw a venn diagram yep by asking a question what do you mean
1: when you yeah that's good (laughs)
2: What do you mean when you say that?
1: And we do that a lot in our equipping ministry. That's Mm. one of the, we we typically ask three questions, which we got from Greg Kokel um, in his book, Tactics. But the first one is, what do you mean by that? Which is always, that's such a great question. It is a great question. Because our first knee jerk, or like we've said that a couple of times, or first response is just to assume. And you end up putting so much stuff on the person, you're not actually listening. Mm -hmm. And so just to, to stay calm, like rule number one in the wagon house is don't freak out. <laughs> that's a good rule. Yeah, it's, it's such a good rule. We don't follow it very often, but that's why it's we rule try. number one. <laughs> but, but don't freak out. And two, like, hey, what do you mean by that? And then the second question is, how did you come to that conclusion? Like what, what's informing that? And then the third question is, um, have you ever considered this? But that first question is so critical in actually seeking to understand what people are saying, which is so needed. Absolutely. Same thing
2: happens with the word feminism. Mm -hmm. So when I started my PhD studies, I'm in a U.S. women's history class and they're talking about feminism. And in my brain, I'm saying I am not a feminist. Fortunately, I didn't say that out loud because (laughs) as I continued to listen, I realized everybody in that class was defining a feminist as somebody who is for equal pay, equal, like, you know, you shouldn't be discriminated against, men or women. Mm. And they didn't mean feminism as women's right. They meant men and women. So I was really glad. And I realized that they used the modifier radical to talk about the kind of people I was talking Mm, about. And then some of them called themselves radicals, but not all of them did. And if I had said, I'm not a feminist, I'm a Christian, they would have heard me saying, mm-hmm. I'm a Christian who's against equal pay and think all women should stay home and yeah. right, you know, all of that, and then they wouldn't have been able to hear me. Mm-hmm. So even that word, and then to find out that when I talk about feminism, my African American friends are like yep white girl like go for it but you know not not really relating to that whole pushing you know for women to get to work yeah right. Uh, we're hoping we can stay home yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. all that to preface your question what are some of the boxes i give my students an assignment i go to the board and i say what are all the qualities you connect with womanhood and i get nurturing submission kindness what are the qualities you associate with manhood initiative uh responsibility valor
1: (laughs) yeah courage courage
2: and and then i'm like eh, okay so what of these qualities belong to god all of them Mm -hmm. okay so can you think of a woman in the bible who has courage esther right and and pretty soon it's like okay kindness is for women that's a fruit of the spirit Right? So again, some of our boxes are not big enough in that they connect certain character qualities with being female or male, when in reality, the box should be bigger in terms of character. But back to my earlier point, but a woman who's kind looks different from a man who's kind. It looks different because she's in a woman's body and he's in a man's body. So Christ likeness embodied in a female body is femininity and Christ likeness in a man's body is masculinity.
0: So good. That's so helpful cuz the more that you think about all of these characteristics that we're assigning to men and women, they all originate in God himself. They all do. And so that changes everything. It's like that yeah. can't be uniquely woman or uniquely man. It right. is uniquely God and right. we together image him therefore right. the, this is the spectrum of characteristics right.
1: yeah i'm really grateful that god is nurturing
0: <laughs>
2: yeah <laughs> aren't Amen you to yeah that. I totally am yeah, right yeah. and paul's saying i was like a mother nurturing a newborn child like yeah. i was
1: nursing you yeah. he
0: That's uses like very it. feminine yeah. quote-unquote yeah. language yeah. to talk right. about yeah. shepherding his people so,
1: i remember this was critical in my own spiritual formation um i went through a really dark season in 2005 early 06 and i didn't sleep a lot it was just a hard uh, season and i remember my mom was consistently calling me and checking in and mm-hmm. you know hey how are you what can we do for you you know those kinds of things and i was really in a lot of now that i'm looking back on it i have a much fuller understanding of what was going on but in my own mind i was like i was wrestling with really the character of god mm-hmm. what is god like wow. does he love me all the time is his love conditioned on my performance or on my behavior? Right. And it, that one of the things that clicked in that season was I just thought like, huh, if my mom is showing the kind of care and concern that she is for me right now, maybe that's what God maybe is like. What God's like. And, yeah. and that, I mean, there are a lot of things firing in my brain, but that was a, an essential connection that I made that I was like, I think god might be like that i mean i would have told you that intellectually but now it was sinking in and i was like actually emotionally connecting it it to it you know and that's and so i'm like i'm so glad that the holy spirit is called the nurturer you know this this one who comes and and walks alongside of
0: Uh, just the thing that i would want our listeners to walk away with is to remember like first godliness just like to continue to see Christ right. and to try and be like him and I, really the spirit transforming us to be like him, that that is what we've been yeah. called to. So if your
2: father had done the same thing, mm. it would have been masculine yeah, right. because it's a male embodied being kind is different from a female embodied being kind. It's just different in a mysterious way. We don't have to exegete in what way? We don't even, when we work together as men and women, don't have to make a list of who brings what to the table. Because the minute you do, I think there's a proverb that says, you know, things that are mysteries. way of a man with a maiden (laughs) yeah
0: yeah yeah it's a mystery we just
2: know that it's good Mm. there was an interesting piece of research that came out after the bernie madoff uh, financial scandal somebody raised the question so these are all male boards would this much corruption have happened in the financial world if it had been all female boards so they launched this research of all female boards and the ethics of their decisions and lo and behold they're just as corrupt as all male boards but what was an interesting finding was that male boards that had men and women together made much more ethical decisions mm. again we don't have to know why yeah. we just know that's genesis right yeah, we're just yeah.
1: you need there's each just other.
2: something that we bring to the table that we can't always describe but we know that it contributes to human flourishing when you have men and women partnering together and paul is full of Men and women, he's thanking for partnering mm. in, in Romans 16. Yes, but right? see, yeah. He, he isn't actually sending this letter to Rome saying to the elders and the deacons. He's saying, Rufus's mom is like a mom to me. Tell her hi. <laughs> and, you know, my, my girl Junia and Andronicus, like they were in jail, like, you know. Uh, with and oh, me. by the
1: way, Phoebe yeah. is carrying this too. Yeah, right.
2: Phoebe uh, the diaconus, right? Right, yeah, right, right. So that's another, another challenge is... You know, a lot of times our Bible translation, since Phoebe can't be a deacon, she's a servant, but every other time the word deacon shows up, you know, with a man, it's deacon. So, and as English speakers, we think there are different words used. Mm, it's the um, same word, and yeah, it's the same word. But and and again, I don't think anybody had evil intentions. Mm-hmm. It's just we don't even realize what kind of biases we're bringing. Yep, to yeah, yeah. The uh, text. there's
0: presuppositions
2: even as you're translating. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which
0: is why we need men and women Together. and Asians and you know we yeah. need every lot On of translation eyes, all committees. All yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Great. Well, Dr. Glenn, thank you so much for joining us on the topic of gender. We are going to pick this discussion back up next week. So tune in to hear more about biblical femininity and masculinity.
1: Thanks for listening to the Equipping Podcast. You should go on iTunes and subscribe and leave us a comment and rate us with five stars. I mean, you know.
0: Nice comments only, please. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs>
1: Yeah, tell your friends. Help us get the word out. And as always, you can also email us with questions or ideas at equippingpodcast at watermark.org. Peace.
0: Bye.